Okay, well, this morning we're looking again at the uh, Galatian epistle and uh, chapter one, the Galatian epistle and chapter one. And uh, we're uh, looking at the uh, first uh, verses of the epistle. Uh, we're going down as far as, uh, as verse 10 again, reminding ourselves of uh, the context. The verses we're looking particularly at this morning are verses uh, uh, nine and 10. But uh, we'll get it in context, reading from verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what was accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his uh, precious word this morning. Uh, the, the history of um, Christianity has been impeded by uh, the many heresies, false teachings that Satan has instigated as a means of robbing non-Christians of salvation and Christians of assurance and joy. These attacks have appeared in many forms and from many sources, often endorsed by false teaching, by reputable or supposedly reputable figures or even some supernatural or angelic influence. From the beginning of the Galatian epistle, we noted that Paul is seeking to defend his own reputation and authority as an apostle, whilst the Judaizers seek to undermine and question that authority. They knew that if they could bring into question Paul's authority and the authenticity of the message that he proclaimed, they were halfway to undermining the gospel of free grace. At the same time, the Judaizers sought to bolster their own position and their own reputation and status in any way that they could. And uh, we find, for example, in the second chapter here and in verse 12, that they're trying to claim endorsement from the apostle James, who was one of the leading figures at the Jerusalem church. 
the question the Galatians needed to contend with and answer was whose authority really mattered? Who could they trust uh, to tell them the truth about the way of salvation and the way to heaven? And today in our world, the same problem we have is the question of truth. Even in the time of the apostles, the Greeks would question in philosophical circles, what is truth? Remember that even Pilate asked that question when he was uh, confronting Jesus or questioning Jesus. He said, what is truth? Uh, the, that is the big thing that the world is still asking today. What is truth? Is there such a thing as truth? And, and who has that truth in order that we can be guided, um, guided aright? Now, as we study the Galatian epistle, we remind ourselves again that this letter was one of the earliest letters that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote. The dates you will find differ between scholars, but the best dates are probably between 53 and 57 A.D., but even that was some 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, after the beginning of the early church. There were 20 years span between the formation of the early church and the writing of this Galatian epistle. 20 years in which the, uh, the influence and potential contamination could come from many resources many religious and philosophical ideas were around at the at the time and uh, the gospel very quickly was um, in danger of becoming contaminated by all these ideas all these religions all these philosophical um, uh, ideas that were around at the at the time the churches were, were troubled from the very start with all these, um, with every conceivable false teaching. And those who suggest that the Bible is somehow out of date is neither familiar with the uh, content of the New Testament epistles, nor the world into which these letters were, were written. Whether it was Gnosticism emphasizing the need for some secret spiritual knowledge and uh, code words in order to get to heaven, whether it was dualism or Neoplatonism or Zoroastrianism, which uh, all of them teaching the idea that there was, uh, there was a, a battle going on between two gods, uh, that there was a good God and there was a bad God and uh, the good God uh, was uh, it, uh, working on behalf of the world. The bad God was a judgmental God, a, a God who was um, uh, always um, looking to, uh, to bring judgment upon the world. Whatever those, those ideas were, were around and were beginning to uh, be drawn into some of the teachings of uh, Christianity. Then, of course, you had um, asceticism as well, which was the, the idea that the material world was evil. And therefore, uh, if you were um, 
uh, a Christian, you had to stop uh, having anything to do with the material world and the Apostle Paul has to deal with that in the, in the, with the Colossian church who were saying that you couldn't eat this and you couldn't drink that and you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that because of uh, the material world was evil, living a sort of monastic existence and all that type of teaching was being brought in. But even the, the other extremes, which was antinomianism, the idea that because the material world had no relation to the spiritual world and, uh, you know, as a Christian, in inverted commas, you were spiritual, it didn't matter how you lived your life because the material world didn't matter. Therefore, you could be as licentious as you wanted. You could be as, uh, you could commit whatever sins you wanted to because it, it didn't matter. That was a material world. All these sort of teachings were being brought in. Then in Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23, Paul says there, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Already there, there was the beginning of the battles that were going on within the early church. What truth was as opposed to error. There were magic cults, there was emperor worship, there were fertility cults. The church was troubled by them all and Satan would use all of them in a desperate attempt to stamp out the message of salvation by free grace. And whether these ideas incorporated aspects of Christianity into their established beliefs or whether they added the rituals and the works of those religions to Christianity and called it Christianity, the result was the same. There was no salvation. Grace was not grace and salvation is by grace alone. There's only one saviour, Jesus Christ, who saves to the uttermost everyone who comes to him. He saves through his own perfect work upon that cross at Calvary. The teachings of the Judaizers was dangerous and destructive teaching. And unless we understand this, we will not appreciate the language that the Apostle Paul uses here in verse uh, verse um, these the, these um, verses that we're looking at uh, this morning. This is this is amongst the strongest in the New Testament, and it's comparable with the condemnation that Jesus gives to the Pharisees who relied upon rituals and ceremonies and good works to make them acceptable in the eyes of God. Matthew twenty-three verse. 13 onwards, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven up in people's faces. You yourselves are not entering, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. So Jesus' criticism and condemnation of the Pharisees was just like that of the Apostle Paul. You shut up the kingdom of heaven. You don't allow people to get into heaven. You don't allow them the way of salvation. 
and yet you and you yourselves are not entering in either. You yourselves are under condemnation for the way that you are teaching and what that you are teaching. Now here in these verses in uh, 8 and 9, Paul wants to include any and every conceivable possibility of an erroneous message or addition being accepted into the gospel of free grace. And as in Romans chapter 8, you remember Romans chapter 8 where there Paul, in the way that he delivers a message about eternal security, he leaves no possible, uh, no possible way in which anyone could argue against eternal security. He covers every conceivable angle. So here in these verses 8 and 9, Paul covers every conceivable angle of anyone who tries to incorporate anything into salvation by grace alone, any addition to salvation by grace alone. Paul reminds these people later on in verse 11, he says, the gospel I preached is not of human origin. He says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And he goes on to prove right from the very beginning of the uh, Old Testament, he proves that this has always been God's way of salvation, as we will see as we move further into this lovely epistle. Now, Paul identifies two particular categories, two particular sources of danger here in these verses eight and nine. The first category is man, man himself. And more particularly or more specific, he's thinking of people of status, people of power, people who you would normally expect to be able to trust. And he brings these people in here and he says, if any of these people were to bring a message contrary to the gospel of free grace, let them be condemned. Paul says, even we, he's referring to the apostles. He's referring to the leadership. He's referring to those in the very highest positions within the church. Now, these Judaizers, they, they, they claim to have come from James at the Jerusalem church. They come in with their clerical garments and they're simpering out their religious uh, uh, ideas. And they claim to come from James. They say, we come from the big church. We come from the main church. We come from Jerusalem. You know, if you, you've got to listen to us, you've got to believe us. Look at us. We come from James. And uh, that is their argument there. But, but Paul doesn't argue here whether they come from James or not. He, he, they didn't, it was very unlikely they had, had any um, respect from James or any uh, um, endorsement from James. But Paul doesn't argue whether they come from James or not. Because even if James was to bring a message that was contrary to the gospel of free grace, he would not be right. He would be condemned for doing that. Because it's not a matter of who you are, it's a matter of the message that you bring. He argues that James would not have the right to change the message any more than anybody else would. In fact, if Paul goes on in chapter 2 of the Galatian epistle from verse 11 to 21. He describes the situation where um, 
where uh, these um, Judaizers, they come to the Syrian Antioch church, that's the main uh, Gentile uh, Christian church, and they begin to trouble that church. And we read there that even Peter and Barnabas were, were um, being um, influenced by these Judaizers. And what does Paul do? He doesn't say, well, you know, it's Peter. So, you know, let's accept that it's Peter. He doesn't say, you know, that's okay because it's Peter. He condemns Peter for what he says. He takes Peter to task and he challenges Peter to his face, as we see, because Peter, he says, stood condemned for doing that. It didn't mean eternally condemned. He just meant he, he, he'd gone off the rails, as it were. So Peter and Barnabas were both being led astray by these Judaizers. Such was their influence. But it didn't mean they were right. It didn't mean it could be tolerated. It didn't mean it was correct in any way. It didn't mean anything could change. They were wrong because the gospel of free grace remained the gospel of free grace. Whoever was uh, supporting it or, or appearing to um, support it. No one who ever had the authority to change the gospel of free grace. There never has been throughout church history anybody who has the authority to change the gospel of free grace, and there never will be. There have been many attempts made by various influential church leaders in various factions down through the ages, but they do not, they do so at the detriment of their, of their own souls and the souls of their, those who follow them and uh, listen to their misguided and heretical views. History is shrewd with the damage caused by listening to someone who people thought was godly and people thought was trustworthy, someone in authority with some great title or, or some great human reputation perhaps, dressed in some impressive, ornate clerical attire perhaps. Paul says, even if we, even if we, he said it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what title you are, doesn't matter how long ago it was or how recent it has been. He says anybody that brings a message other than the gospel of free grace, he says, let him be eternally condemned. But there is another category here that Paul speaks of, and sadly it's been the cause of uh, for great confusion throughout history and today. And uh, it's those who claim to have messages from the heavenly realm and uh, you know there are a lot of books today and there's a lot of ideas floating around today about people who have supposedly had some spiritual experience some message from the heavenly realm somebody who told them something that was different from the gospel that uh, we uh, preach today the apostle paul preached uh, right from the beginning it's the claims of messages coming from that heavenly realm. Now, now, if you look back into the Old Testament, you, you find that God ministered to his uh, people in, on various occasions through the medium of angels. And Paul mentions angels, but he's talking about that wide, uh, a whole category of, of, uh, of angelic or, or visitation or heavenly visitations. 
But if you look into the Old Testament, of course, you we remind ourselves that uh, the Jews were very familiar with the idea of angelic visitations. In Genesis 16, for example, uh, an angel of the Lord uh, appears to Hagar, the, 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 the servant of uh, Abraham. In Genesis 22, we find the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham. In Exodus chapter 3, we find the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in a, in a flaming bush. In Judges chapter 6, we find that angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. There are countless store or pictures or countless uh, accounts in the Old Testament of uh, of evangelic pre- uh, visitation and angelic messages coming to people in the Old Testament. So that was that was very familiar for the Jews. They kind of expected or they fully accepted the fact or the possibility that there would be angelic visitations. And when you look in the New Testament, you find it again, particularly around the time of Jesus' birth. You find in Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to Zechariah. In uh, Luke chapter uh, 1 again, we find that the archangel Gabriel comes to Mary to tell her of the birth, the forthcoming birth of, uh, of Jesus. Uh, and again, in, uh, we find in Luke 2 and verse 10, the angels appear to the shepherds telling them of the birth of Jesus to go to Bethlehem to find the baby there. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 11, angels ministered to Jesus uh, after he had been tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And in Luke twenty-two forty-three, an angel comforts Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And of course, at the end of Jesus' life, in Matthew 28, an angel uh, speaks at the empty tomb. The angels rolled the stones away. And even when you come into the book of Acts, into the days of the New Testament church, angels are very prevalent at times in those days. You find in Acts chapter 5, an angel liberates the apostles from prison. In Acts chapter 8, an angel directs Philip to speak to an Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 10, an angel appears to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 12, the angel rescues Peter from jail. With a very familiar picture, even for Christians in New Testament days, it was quite familiar for there to be interventions from angelic, uh, from angels. And, and some of the Gentiles in those days also believed in the ministry of angels. The Greek word egolos, uh, messenger, has some use in the Greek religion relating to divine messengers the hypsisterians worship the hypsistosis the most high and acknowledge the god of traditional greek religion as angels now it's not clear here when the galatian epistle if there were any claims of angelic or heavenly authority by the legalistic teachers that we are looking at here who are troubling the Galatian church. But there have certainly been such claims down through the centuries in 
church history. Even in the Colossian epistle, we read some verses from it earlier. The Colossian letter being written around between 62, 63 AD, even there, there is already uh, the talk of angels. Let me read some verses from there. See to it that no one uh, no, no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have, brought to, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority and then verse 16 therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration or a sabbath these are shadows of the things that were to come the reality however is found in christ do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds since you died with christ he goes on to say uh, died sorry since you died with christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Already there is the, uh, the idea of angelic uh, visitation, worship of angels, even in the Colossian church, written, that letter written around 62, 63 AD. And throughout church history, there have been the issues of uh, so-called messages or from angels, St. Augustine, for example, around the third century encountered the Angelicae, uh, an heretical sect, the, and he condemns there the extravagant worship of angels. But coming down to rec more recent times and perhaps more recent cults that have developed through the worship or listening to angels or um, so-called heavenly visitation. See, the Church of the Latter-day Saints is a, is a good example of that. The, the Mormons is the other title for them. And of course, um, they, they come around the doors at certain times and they present as being very orthodox. Their language is very orthodox, but they are a cult that has uh, risen up through the belief and through the acceptance of uh, visitation of uh, of uh, an angel or at least one angel and other uh, so-called heavenly uh, visitations. Joseph Smith at the age of 14 years old tells us that he had or told us he had an encounter with the angel Moroni who was sent to mankind to deliver messages, minister humanity and teach doctrines of salvation. So in other words, it hadn't been completed. God's work hadn't been completed at the cross, but there were all these visitations uh, that were to, to follow teaching the doctrines of salvation. So here, there, even 
so there Joseph Smith and uh, another of his uh, uh, followers, Oliver Cowdery, both said prior to the establishment of the church in 1830, they had been visited by Moroni, they had been visited by John the Baptist, they had been visited by the Apostle Peter, the Apostle James, and the Apostle John. Later on, they claimed to have visits from Jesus himself, from Moses, from Elias, from Elijah. Mormons do not believe that Jesus is God, and they do not believe in salvation by grace alone. Their teaching is to be condemned and we need to be absolutely clear about that. A further example is the teaching of the Unification Church, not so prevalent, not so uh, in the news just of re recent days, but again, a church that uh, made claims about visitations from heaven. Uh, it was strongly tied to the personal history of its founder, Sun Myung Moon, on Easter morning, he, tell, he suggested in 1935, he, he claims Jesus Christ appeared to him and asked him to complete the mission that he had begun 2,000 years ago. And Moon, who at the age of 15 at the time, began studying the Bible, he, told the, he tells his followers and many other religious teachings to find out what Jesus had left undone on earth. When Jesus died upon that cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. It is complete. These words left undone tell us everything we need to know about that movement and about those so-called visitations from heaven. There are many other examples of people who have claimed to see visions or received visitations from angels or prophets or saints. But so many of those visitations have contradicted or brought into question the gospel message of salvation by grace alone through Jesus Christ. Now we're not suggesting here that there are no genuine or authentic ministry of angels because the Bible clearly points to this. We've already seen it in the Old Testament and the New Testament and uh, we've seen it in the New Testament church there. And uh, since that time through church history there have been many stories of uh, visitations from angels that we would accept generally speaking as being authentic. If you look at the history of, the, of Israel the formation of Israel in 1948, you find there the, the, the protection of angels. There's a story of an Israeli soldier in 1948 who was part of a battalion that were defending Israel against the Arabs. The Arabs were totally outnumbering the Israelis. The Israelis ran out of ammunition. The Arabs were about to overrun their positions. Suddenly they stop, they turn around, and they run. The Israelis couldn't understand it. What, why, why did they do that? Years later, the Israeli soldier meets an Arab soldier who was on the opposing army. He said, you know, the one thing I can't understand, he said, why did you stop? Why did you turn around? 
you were overwhelming. You had overwhelming numbers. You had, you had the weapons. You had the, the ammunition. We had nothing. Why did you run? He said, did you not see the angels? Did you not see the angels? That's why we turned round. We couldn't go on because of the angels. Again, we find personal testimonies, and again, you know, there are, there are many of them, but I, I was listening to one recently, uh, a guy called Chris Spicer, you, you may know him, he's, uh, I think he's on Revelation TV. He, he spoke recently about, about his mother, who died, sadly, quite young at the age of 59. She was a, a godly woman, loved the Lord with her, uh, and she was going to a meeting one day, meeting, and... Uh, Suddenly she stopped. She, she looked up. She said, look, look. And she fell down dead of a heart attack at the age of 59 years old. A man across the road, he, he runs across. He sees what happened. He, he comes to help. He says, uh, he says to the woman, he said, where's the young man that was with you? She said, there was no young man with us. We were on our own. We were going to a, a meeting on our own. So where was the young man? He said, but there was a young man with you. He was walking between you. Uh, and, and Chris there, he says that, that in his view, and uh, I can well believe it was a transition. The angel presence was there at the transition for that godly woman. You see, there, there, there are angels. The Bible promises angels. Billy Graham, if you've never read it, this has a, a lovely book written a number of years ago now called Angels. It, it's well worth reading that book because it's a very encouraging book. It talks about the, the ministry of angels. There are ministering angels, but no ministering angels would ever deny the gospel of salvation by free grace. No one would ever deny the finished work of Jesus Christ upon that cross of Calvary. How easily, how lightly, how glibly man asserts his own foolish and arrogant views upon this gospel of free grace. How easily people listen and become enamored and impressed by people who appear to be somebody special and listen and take on board their teaching. Paul asserts 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, when I came to you, he says, I did not come with eloquent or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the gospel about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God's power. Paul concludes here in verse 9. He says, as we have already, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accept, let them be under God's curse. You see, God, you see, Paul had already anticipated 
He'd already identified the seeds of this heresy during his time, during his ministry amongst the Galatians. And he declares God's judgment upon these people. He declared it then, and he declared it again as he writes to them again. He's writing to them now, but the message is exactly the same from the message that he gave them while he was with them, the message that they didn't listen to, the message that they need to listen to again, because nothing has changed. Perhaps the Galatians were saying to themselves, or someone suggested, well, you know, that was then, but this is now. Yes, Paul, you, you gave us that message then, but, but things have changed now. You know, surely, you know, we can, we can compromise a bit now. These nice people, these nice Judaizers, they come with their big Bibles under their arms and they, they come simpering out nice words and they, they smile and they're kind and they, they give you a hug perhaps and they're, they're very friendly and they're very nice and they're very sincere. Surely that was then, Paul, but, you know, you need to. <laughs> these people are really nice. You know, surely we can accept them and put our arms around them and compromise a little bit with them, call them brothers. We need to modernize, don't we, Paul? You know, if we don't modernize, won't the church fall? Won't it sort of, won't the numbers drop down? Won't we, our numbers begin to lessen if we preach this very clear, very strict message of salvation by grace alone? Don't we want to accept people? Don't we want a, a bigger congregation? Don't we want bigger churches, Paul? Paul says, as I have said before, so now I say again, if anyone brings to you a message other than the message that I brought to you, let him be eternally condemned that is the message today the world can change churches can change but you and i will not change the gospel of salvation by free grace to those however may god bless his word to our hearts amen